Hello everyone, welcome to the Memorial Heights Baptist Church podcast. Here you'll find archived all of our previous messages dating back to late 2020. Our hope is that today's message would be encouraging to your walk with Christ. We also want to thank you for spending time listening today and encourage you to share these messages with a friend so they too might hear the Word of God. But for now, grab your Bible, open your ears, and let's get to it. Thank you, Pastor, and good evening, everyone. We are, once again, continuing in the book of Nehemiah. Uh, Tonight, we're going to be in Nehemiah chapter 6. And as I mentioned before, um, we're moving towards the end. Uh, We're not going to look at every chapter. So after tonight, we'll have uh, three more studies in the book. So tonight, we're moving to Nehemiah chapter 6. Each of these studies uh, were entitled The Necessity of Something. Uh, Tonight, we're looking at the necessity of taking a stand. The necessity of taking a stand. If you'll go ahead and turn with me. Uh, Once again, we're going to go ahead and read uh, the full chapter of Nehemiah 6, uh, if you would like to follow along. Verse 1, Now it came to pass, when Sanballat and Tobiah and Geshem the Arabian and the rest of our enemies heard that I had builded the wall and that there was no breach left therein, though at the time I had not set the doors upon the gates. Then Sanballat and Geshem sent unto me, saying, Come, let us meet together in some one of the villages in the plain of Ono. But they thought to do me mischief. And I sent messengers unto them, saying, I am doing great work, so that I cannot come down. Why would the work cease whilst I leave it and come down to you? Yet they sent unto me four times after this sort, and I answered them after the same manner. Then sent Sanballat his servant unto me, like manner, the fifth time, with an open letter in his hand, wherein was written, It is reported among the heathen in Gashmu with it, that thou the Jews think to rebel, for which cause thou buildest the wall, that thou mayest be their king, according to these words. And thou hast also appointed prophets to preach of thee at Jerusalem, saying, There is a king in Judah, and now shall be reported to the king, according to these words. Come now, therefore, and let us take counsel together. Then I sent unto him, saying, There are no such things done as thou sayest, but thou feignest them out of thine own heart. For they all made us afraid, saying, Their hands shall be weakened from the work, and it shall not be done. Now therefore, O God, strengthen my hands. Afterward I came unto the house of Shimeah, the son of Delilah, uh, the son of Methabel, who was shut up and said, Let us meet together in the house of God within the temple, and let us shut the doors of the temple, for they will come to slay thee. Yea, in the night they will come to slay thee. And I said, Should should such a man as I flee? And who is there that, being as I am, would go into the temple to save his life? I will not go in. And lo, I perceived that God had not sent him, but he pronounced this prophecy against me, for Debai and Sanblat had hired him. Therefore was he hired that I should be afraid and do so, uh, and sin, that they might have matter for evil rapport, that they might reproach me. My God, think thou upon Tobiah and Sanblat according to these their works, and on the prophetess Nadiah and to the rest of the prophets, that they would put me in fear. So the wall was finished 
in the 20 and 5th day of the month of Elu, in 50 and 2 days. And it came to pass that when all of our enemies heard thereof, and all the heathen that were about us saw these things, they were much cast down in their own eyes, for they perceived that this work was wrought of our God. Moreover, in those days the nobles of Judah sent many letters unto Tobiah, and the letters of Tobiah came unto them. For there were many in Judah sworn unto him, because he was the son-in-law of Shechaniah, the son of Erah, and the son of Jehanan, and the taken of the daughter of Mishalim, the son of Bechariah. Also they reported his good deeds before me, and uttered my word to him, and Tobiah sent letters to put me in fear. So again, uh, we see the conclusion of the building of the wall here in chapter 6. And so we've seen everything that Nehemiah has went through from the beginning when he got his burden uh, to the point 52 days later after they started this great work of the Lord that the wall was finally came to an end. Uh, but of course, our, our story doesn't end here. In chapter 6, once again, uh, we see this uh, person named Sanblat who comes in this time desires to meet with Nehemiah. He wants to hold uh, a meeting. Uh, Nehemiah lets him know in no uncertain terms uh, that he is engaged in doing the great work of the Lord, and he has no time uh, for this meeting. So Sanballat sends four more times an invitation to meet, and in chapter 6 he sends another message, and now the message is becoming slanderous, uh, threatening, a blackmail, he accuses Nehemiah of being a rebel against the king of Babylon. He also accuses Nehemiah of ulterior motives, of wanting to be the new king over Jerusalem, and that he has gotten some of the prophets to himself to promote this idea. Nehemiah responds by simply telling Sanballat that all of this is a pack of lies conceived in his own wicked heart. In verse 9, we see that Nehemiah once again prays. In verse 10, Another of the prophets comes and advises Nehemiah to run and hide. And don't we love Nehemiah's response here? Should such a man as I flee? Should such a man as I flee? Now, he wasn't boasting of himself. You know, he knew that he was doing the Lord's work. And isn't it great that he is not easily, you know, moved from that? This is certainly you know, soul-stirring to see him stand uh, against all of his enemies. Um, Nehemiah knew um, that uh, this uh, prophet was hired by Sanballat to try to cause him fear. And so it's surely benefiting Nehemiah that he was a man of prayer and wisdom. He was sensitive to the Holy Spirit's leading, for he knew you know, that this was not of God, that they were trying to bring reproach to the man of God. And then down in verse 14, once again, he prays. In verse 15, we see finally that the wall was finished. They perceived that this work was wrought by the supernatural hand of God. They knew somebody bigger than Nehemiah was behind this great movement. Nehemiah, here in chapter 6, is taking a stand. As he says, should such a man as I flee. He's saying that he's not going to run. You know, he's not going to go have a meeting. He's not going to see what they're trying to say. The Bible says in Ephesians chapter 6, having done all to stand. 
put the whole armor of God on and just stand. It's been said, if you don't stand for something, you'll fall for anything. And that's true in many areas of our life. If you don't have the knowledge of the word of God, we can be tossed to and fro by any wind of doctrine. And sadly, today, there's a lot of those wind of doctrine that are tossing Christians uh, left and right. The Bible talks about not being blown away, being steadfast, unmovable in the word of God. So back in chapter 4, <coughs> excuse me, we noticed that Nehemiah faced a lot of external opposition. We'd already heard about Sanballat and, and the forces there. Uh, we skipped over chapter 5 in this particular study, but if you read chapter 5 in Nehemiah, you'll find that there was a lot of internal dissension. So he already faced uh, these external foes, uh, but there was some backbiting, some internal uh, dissension that uh, you see in chapter 5. And so he had not only problems on the outside, but he had problems going on the inside. And then here in chapter 6, once again, these external opposition uh, comes again, and he must make that stand. He's going to be God's man. He's going to be God's leader. Now, certainly, the devil is more relentless than any of our foes. You know, so if we are a child of God, if you are a child of God, we need to realize until we are taken home, you know, we are going to be in a battle with these enemies. You know, we see throughout the book of Nehemiah, you know, he doesn't have an easy path at any time. You know, every chapter that we've looked at, he is fighting enemies. So if you don't know that you're a child of God or that you don't know that you have victory in Christ, how discouraging and frustrating that much must be. But the encouraging thing is that we as Christians can have victory through the Lord Jesus Christ. Even though we're in these battles, you know, we are on the winning side. We have victory in Jesus. We can overcome the devil by being filled with the Spirit and being filled with the Word of God, meditating and quoting the Word of God uh, to our adversary, the devil. If we notice in chapter 6, verse 15, it starts with the word so. And really, this word so speaks of the last several chapters, of the intensity of his opposition. Nehemiah is saying so in spite of all we've went through, you know, all the trouble of the past few chapters, you know, the wall has been finished in a miraculous 52 days. So there's always been persecution. And for us as Christians, there will always be persecution again, until the Lord returns. They that live godly in Christ shall suffer persecution. And in the last days, perilous times shall come. You know, do we believe we're in those last days? And if we believe that, we can look around and see the perilous times uh, that are all around us. Jesus also tells us, in the world ye shall have tribulation. The Apostle Paul in Acts 14 in verse 22, went back through the churches, confirming and preaching to them that through much tribulation, they would enter the kingdom of God. Uh, sadly, we don't hear much of that preached these days. You know, from a lot of pulpits, we hear how fun it is to be saved. Um, just pray a little prayer, and all your problems will go away, and everything will be right. You know, that is not what we read, sadly, for us in scriptures. 
until we re reach our ultimate home of heaven, you know, we are going to have battles left and right. Paul's preaching said that we would have much tribulation. He was saying that we need to count the cost. When you get saved, you take on a whole new set of enemies. When we become saved, self becomes our enemy. When we get saved, the world becomes our enemy. And when we get saved, Satan is our enemy. Prior to that, we're fighting on that side. So we're not battling self, we're not battling the world, and we're not battling Satan. So as soon as you or I became a Christian, you know, we had a whole new set of enemies that we're fighting against. In 2 Peter, it talks about judgment beginning in the house of God. It was talking about the coming of the Lord, and in the last days, how God will separate the wheat from the tares. God will cleanse and purge his church so that he might present the church without spot or wrinkle. Now, there are always those who want to go along for personal gain. In this crowd, we see that there's a few rich Jews that are taking advantage of the poor people and the work situation, and that they're getting servants and slaves and taxing people and chain, excuse me, charging outrageous rates and usury. So we find that even today that there's a lot of ulterior motives in the church. So there's coming a time where God's going to separate the true from the false. But just like this time where Nehemiah had to make a stand, you know, there'll come a time when we as Christians will need to take a stand either on the word of God or fulfilling the lust of our flesh. And that's when the real me and the real you will be found. The Bible says that they that live godly shall suffer persecution. So if you've submitted yourself to the Lord Jesus and know he alone is your Lord, you know, we won't feel at home in this world. You know, we're at opposition to everything that's going on. So we don't feel or we should not feel comfortable. The world is constantly trying to usurp the authority of the Lord Jesus in our lives, our church life and our personal life. You know, we could see all those that were persecuted for the Lord in scriptures. John the Baptist, Stephen, James, Paul. You know, what they've went through for taking a stand for the Lord. You know, fortunately at this point, you know, we don't face the same persecution that they do. But that time certainly is coming. That place is all across the world people are facing this. You know, we hear it often on Sunday mornings. We talk about the persecuted church, you know, would we make the same stands that we say we'll make now if it could potentially cost us our life? If we're going to retreat on a day of battle, if we're not willing to forsake all in following Christ, well, then it's best for us to just go AWOL right now. Gideon went to battle, and God told him he had too many. And so what God was saying was that when you go into battle, you don't need a big army, you, know, you need a good army. Gideon got up and said, if you're scared, go home. 22,000 left at that point. You know, so there was a bunch of cowards that were there that weren't ready to make a stand. So Gideon ended up needing only 300 men willing to take a stand and won the battle because these men were much like Nehemiah, ready to take a stand for the Lord. And so... 
Um, today we're going to uh, look at a number of different things, but we've already talked about some of the reasons for Nehemiah's success, and why God's work you know, was completed in 52 days. And the first one, as I mentioned, is because it was God's work, not man's work. It says that they perceived that this work was wrought by God. The very first key was God was in that thing. The presence of God and the purpose of God were being fulfilled with Nehemiah and the rebuilding of the wall. Nehemiah was over there in Babylon, happy, content, and then God burdened his heart. And so it was God that moved upon him, and it was not he himself deciding that this was a project that he just wanted to go. It was God that opened the doors. It was God who allowed the king to give him safe passage. It was a, the king who gave him, or God that gave the king permission to let him go, give him a royal escort for safety, uh, gave him all the timber that he needed. And Nehemiah was saying, he has sent me here, and he has blessed me, and he will prosper me. So the first thing that we see in Nehemiah, that it was the Lord's work and not his. So not only do we need God's purpose and God's presence in our mission, uh, but we also need the people of God. And so even though we must have God's initiation in whatever mission we have, we also need to have people's cooperation or Christians' cooperation. The people that helped in his project had a mind to work. Nehemiah was raised up as their leader, and they followed him. And so whenever God has a desire to do something, do a great work, he raises up men or women who are willing to direct their paths. When people uh, were ready... Um, to go into Canaan, uh, God called Joshua to lead them. God raises, raises up men and women and gives them a burden and then gives people that will follow them to finish his ministry. God gave Moses 70 elders of Israel who helped Moses and served him. Joshua also had those that helped who built the tabernacle and those that came and led in battles and the soldiers and everybody did their part. The third key to Nehemiah's success was the power of prayer. You know, each evening that we talked uh, about Nehemiah, we see that he was a man of prayer. The foes that you and I face are too big for any one of us on our own. The world, the flesh, and the devil certainly could take us down by ourselves, could try to hinder the work or the missions that we have. So our only hope is that we are on a praying basis with the Lord of heaven. You know, are we continually men and women of prayer? The only hope for America today is a church that's filled with the Holy Ghost of God, which has abandoned itself to the very will of God. And we as Christians need this kind of attitude. And so this opposition that we see in chapter 6 uh, comes from a new direction. You know, before... Uh, they tried to bring uh, the armies of Samaria and surround. So what do they do now but come with a friendly tone? You know, they just want to sit down and talk. They want to have a meeting. Uh, they say, Nehemiah, come down here and let us meet together. He threatened him and brought armies, but that didn't work. So they say, this time, let us have a conference down at the plain of Ono. But 
Maya's response was, oh no. Uh, they thought me to do me mischief. Uh, there were three different things that they brought against Nehemiah that we're going to look at today. The first, they wanted to bring the world's friendship. They wanted to bring the world's friendship. Last week, <coughs> excuse me, we talked about the discouragement of the midway point. When we looked at chapter 4, we saw that they were about halfway in. It was probably about 26 days and how easily it was to become discouraged and how many times ministries you know, are given up at that midway point. But another very difficult is when you get to the end, when you're about ready to complete the work for the Lord. That is when Satan comes with his fury, when we're almost finished something. Just before we complete some great task for the Lord, the devil comes and tries to hinder us. Again, the Bible says, in the last days, he will come with great fury because he knows that he has just a short time left. So when we have a short time left, you know, don't allow yourself you know, to be tempted to give up or to quit because that is what Satan is doing. And so the first thing we see in the world's friendship is the invitation. It seems here that Sanballat wants to be friends. He says, come let us meet together. Notice that Nehemiah says in verse 3, he says, I am doing a great work so that I cannot come down. Why should the work cease while I leave it and come down to you? And the thing we want to take from there is coming down. You know, we as Christians have a lofty position, but too many of us come down to be a part of the world and be sucked into that. You know, Nehemiah realizes here that he does not need to come down to the world. So when we do meet the world, we come down from where the Lord would have us. You know, they wanted him to listen to them. You know, they wanted to have conferences. They wanted to speak. They wanted to allow the world to influence. And any time we do that, you know, we do take a step down in a couple of different areas. We take a step down in our personal standards. And personal standards, the world comes and says, you know, let's just talk about this. You know, why are you so strict on these areas? Just take one drink or just one smoke. Just try this one thing. It won't hurt anything. You've stepped down out of the will of God. you step down from the exalted position as a servant of God, as a child of God. We've stepped down to become a friend of the world. So beware of the world's friendships. Another thing that steps down is the political standards. Uh, and the same is true. What Nehemiah was facing here, they believed that the church should stay out of the state's business, but they didn't think that the state should stay out of the church's business. You know, they wanted politically to run the church. They came and said, you know, we could tax you if we wanted, but we're going to be nice and exempt you here. All you have to do is meet with us, sign some papers, and you can keep your tax-exempt status. You know, and we won't um, stop you from saying what you want, as long as it doesn't go against you know, what the political uh, rulers say. And so again, you know, too many times churches and Christians are stepping down and, and making compromises in the political arena also. And so we first saw the world's friendship, but then it moved to the world's slander. And we see some accusations that begin. So they tried to accuse Nehemiah of ulterior motives. They said that, Nehemiah, we know what you're thinking. 
You're going to rebel against Babylon. Nehemiah said, nope, that's not what I'm going to do. They said, Nehemiah, you really want to become king of Judah. And we've even heard that you've got some prophets going around preaching on your behalf and giving political speeches on why they ought to have you as the king of Judah. Nehemiah simply says, there is no such things done as thou sayest, but thou feignest them out of thy own heart. Again, they're trying to make accusations. And the world is still doing that today against us as Christians. But what were the answers that Nehemiah had? So two things that helped Nehemiah when they tried to slander him was first, he had a clean life. And second, he had a clear conscience. When a man has a clean life and a clear conscience, they'll have more boldness than what the world can do and think about. Nehemiah was saying, check me out. Go back and check my history. You'll find that I have a clean record. I have a clear conscience before God. I know what my motives and that they are pure. I know why I'm here, and I know who I'm serving. In Nehemiah chapter 5, verse 15, Nehemiah proves that he doesn't have any ulterior motives when he says, number one, I haven't taken any pay. Number two, I haven't taxed my people. Number three, I haven't taken anything from them. I haven't given any political speeches. Then in verse 17 and 18, he says, I haven't done anything that the governors before me have done. And in verse 19, he bowed before the Lord and said, Lord, you know my heart, and you reward me and judge me according to the good that I have done. And so he knew that he was living holy and pure before God. But what the enemies here and what the world today banks on when they try to slander a Christian or slander a person, they're banking on that they do have something to hide, that they have something in their past, uh, some outrageous sin. And the first time somebody raises an accusation, you know, that they'll back off because they don't want this information to get out. But... If he doesn't have anything to hide, then the world had better watch out because he'll have more boldness and he'll be able to continue uh, very strong. So there comes to mind the value of your testimony. The devil comes and says, just this one time. And then if we give in and compromise and do something, the, nev the devil will never let that go. And how many times does Satan still try to bring up sin you know, that God's son's blood has washed white as snow. But when you try to share something, Satan says, well, you probably shouldn't say that because I remember 50 years ago when you did X, Y, or Z. Again, it's best that we don't do that. So if we're filling ourselves and our testimony with all this sin, you know, it's going to be tough for us to be that man that Nehemiah was to stand above slander. And so we need to have a clean life and a clear conscience to make the stand that's necessary to do the work of the Lord. And the last thing tonight is how did he deal with the world's religion? How did Nehemiah deal with the world's religion that was around? So the third thing that he was aware of was this religion. Notice in verse 20, when he talked about this man who came in verse 10 and said, Afterward, I came to the house of Shemaiah. Shemaiah, he perceived in verse 12, was not sent of God and had pronounced his prophecy against him for Sanballat and Tobiah had hired him. In verse 14, he talks about the prophetess Noadiah and the rest of the prophets who had put him in fear. 
the religious crowds got onto Nehemiah and said, now, Nehemiah, you need to back off or you're going to get us all into trouble and you're going to bring down the wrath of the armies of Samaria. So there are some things indicated here about the world's prophets. First of all, they're very fearful and because they know that they don't serve the all-powerful God. And so they tried to get Nehemiah to live in fear. So the world's prophets, the world's religions live in fear. Secondly, they're false prophets, as we see in verse 12. And then thirdly, it says that they were hired. So they were seeking financial gain. They were financially minded. They preached for the money. In verse 11, they were self-seeking prophets. They said, Nehemiah, go hide yourself and save yourself, because that was their mindset. They thought only of themselves. And so moving to today, is that not what today's religion says? The religion of today says is, again, we need to look out for ourselves. We have to take care of number one. You know, we need to save our own hide. Too many times there are preachers and churches that are saying the same thing that the world says. So the main thing with the world is they do anything from being persecuted, you know, getting in trouble, you know, whatever they need to do to hide. No one you know, wants to have a man lead a congregation you know, who is self-seeking, who's influenced by popular opinion. You know, no man is qualified to lead the work of the God who seeks to always defend themselves and who always seek to make it easy on themselves. But too many times, again, we have churches that are filled with pastors and preachers who would rather tickle ears and build the biggest congregations than preaching the truth, even if it means a smaller congregation. They said in the Old Testament to three Hebrew boys, listen, fellas, all you have to do is just bow one time. You don't even have to mean it in your heart because God knows your heart. He knows that you really love him, but he knows that you're just saying this outwardly, you know, so you can be saved from the fiery furnace. And they were saying to Daniel, all you have to do is not pray for 30 days or just pray silently. Don't open your window, you know, don't pray out loud. But for Daniel... To do it differently would have been to compromise his convictions. He always prayed with the windows open, talked without the fear of man. Who is the Lord? Are we going to take a stand like these men of the Old Testament? When our Lord was tempted, he faced the same thing. He faced the world's friendship, for the devil promised him all the kingdoms of the world if he would bow down and worship him. He faced the world's slander. The world said that he was the friend of publicans and wine-bibbers. They said, did you see the Lord up there at the well talking to that harlot? Did you see him up there taken up for the woman caught in adultery? They did not see that he had said, go and sin no more. So he faced the world's religion. They said when he was crucified, save yourself. You've saved others, can't you save yourself? He didn't come to save himself. He came to save you and me. He was not concerned about himself. He was concerned about the lost. The strength of any T is only revealed 
by hot water. The strength of any Christian is only revealed in times of trials and tribulations. Trials, troubles, persecutions that come do not ruin the Christian, but they reveal the Christian. All things work together for good to them that love God. The trials and troubles, again, are not meant to ruin me or you, but they're to give us character. They're to show our strong power. Do we believe that this is God's work, wherever God has you? Do we believe that Jesus alone is the Lord of the church? Are we determined to forsake all and follow him? If we want to really be effective servants for God, God will put us to the test. And are we ready to make the stand like Nehemiah did? You know, we sing that song, Standing on the Promises. And that is where your faith should come from and our strength. I know that there's an enemy, and I know that there's a world friendship here. And the world's slander is there, and the world's religion is there. And they're all trying to get me to come down to where they are. But Nehemiah said, I'm just going to stand here and continue doing God's work and following the word of God. So by faith, you and I can serve the king of kings and the Lord of lords as Nehemiah did by taking the stand that he wants us to take. Let's go ahead and close in a word of prayer. Our gracious Heavenly Father, Again, we thank you for this uh, book of Nehemiah. Uh, Father, we thank you for the godly man that he was. Uh, Lord, we thank you that in the midst of so much persecution from outside and from within, uh, Lord, that he was able to make a stand because he knew you. Uh, Father, today you're still looking for men and women to be Nehemiah. Uh, Lord, that will continue your work in a lost and dying world. Father, I thank you for this church that, again, is open on a Wednesday night, uh, Lord, that preaches the gospel and stands for you. And, Father, we're certainly a needy people, so as we begin to uh, go over our prayer request, uh, Father, Lord, as servants, may we come to you with a humble uh, spirit, uh, just praising you for the prayers that we know that you're going to answer. Lord, we ask this all in Christ's name. Amen. Amen. I'm going to turn it back over to Scott okay. here in just a That's all for today. I hope this has made a positive impact in your relationship with Jesus. If you've never accepted Christ as your Savior and you'd like to know how, give one of our pastors a call at 301-724-5876. We would love nothing more than to share the good news with you. If you've never joined us in person, we have services multiple times throughout the week that we would love to see you at. They are Sunday morning Bible study at 9.15 a.m., Sunday morning service at 10.30 a.m., Sunday evening service at 6.30 p.m., and Wednesdays at 6.30 p.m. We also have opportunities for our students to gather. The youth group for grades 6 through 12 meets at 6 o'clock p.m. on Sundays, and our WANA program for 6th grade and under meets at 6.15 p.m. on Wednesdays. Again, we thank you for joining us today, and we hope to see you soon. But until next time, stay faithful.